In today's world, we are increasingly dependent on technology. Our business and personal lives rely on it, but as you've probably noticed, it's unreliable. They promise it'll get better, but it usually gets worse. Our computers are slow, so we end up squinting at smartphones and tablets. We live in constant fear that something's going to happen to our personal data, so we're scared into paying for fake protection that proves useless when disaster strikes. Update attacks, fake Wi-Fi, cloud control, and other industry scandals are designed to keep the money flowing. The jokers we pay to fix our stuff have no clue what they're doing, so they do a virus scan and then wipe out our precious photos. Intelligent, successful people feel intimidated by the chaos and think it's somehow their fault. If they only knew what the industry was doing to them, they'd get torches and pitchforks. If only we had someone to explain it all in plain English so we can start protecting ourselves. Oh wait, we do! It's the Computer Exorcist Podcast with your host, Mark Anthony Arena. From the Wallace Memorial microphone in my home office, overlooking the hills of western New York, it's the Computer Exorcist Podcast. My name is Mark Anthony Arena. I am so happy to be here with you today. Um, I want to thank you all because on September 28th, we hit 2,000 downloads. So thanks for that, and uh, thanks for telling your friends about the show. Um... Another very special episode for you today. He is a friend of mine and a friend of our co-host, Sergeant Tim. Um, he is Professor Justin, and we are so happy to have you here today. Uh, you know, I want to tell you something funny. Is, is I am quite honored um, just to know you and to have you on the show, but also um, I, sent, I sent Justin an episode of where I tormented a scammer, and he said it was epic, so... If he thinks it's epic, <laughs> I'm quite honored, and that's that really, yeah, that kept me going. Um, so, yeah, tell us, um, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, what do you do? Well, first, uh, thanks for having me on the show, Mark Anthony. I really appreciate the opportunity to to connect with you in this way, and, and also to um, to have a chat about about what we do and why we do it. I think uh, we're we're in we're in it for a lot of the same reasons, and and it's nice to have that kind of uh, opportunity to share. So, what 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 do I do? That's a good. That's, what do I do around here? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, I'm a professor of practice at RIT, uh, and uh, I help uh, educate and train um, both traditional students and uh, working professionals seeking to transition into cybersecurity careers. I do some research and I also administer several programs that uh, help showcase some of the talent across the world and also do some talent scouting for the industry. Um, I could imagine dive into a lot more detail on any of those things, but that's a pretty high level of, of what I'm up to these days. Amazing. Amazing. And, and it's funny cause we're, we're doing conceptually the similar thing, but on totally different levels, right? I'm just helping the old folks cut their cable bills and you're out there on that commercial industrial macro level, right? Fighting all the, all the threats on that end. Um, if, if that makes sense. So, um, what are you, when we talked before the show, what were, 
tell the folks about what you're doing for veterans because that was a really just such an important thing you were explaining. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. So we recently were selected to be the lead institution of an eight university coalition uh, dedicated to helping transitioning veterans and also other first responders uh, move into cybersecurity careers. And so we're focused on governance, risk and compliance um, using the same sort of audit and inspection mentalities that they've cultivated as military members or first responders and applying those to cybersecurity problems. And my why behind that is really rooted in the sense of purpose that most of our veterans and first responders feel. You know, it takes a special person to to raise their hand and, and to serve the country or the community in that way where there's a risk of mortal threat and and um, actual physical harm. And too many of the folks that, that do that are really just demoralized when they're no longer able to serve in that way. You know, you, you get hurt on the job, right? You get blown up, you get shot, or even just a car accident, whatever it is, right? You, and you can't do it anymore. And then all, all the demands that manifest as physical requirements for the field mean that those people can't serve anymore in the way that they're used to. And um, for, for those purpose-driven, mission-focused individuals, that's a tremendous loss of identity that, that can transform into a source of desperation and despair. I have and, a burning sense of purpose myself. Anyone who talks to me for more than 10 seconds, right? I would be absolutely yeah. despondent if I couldn't be who I am and do what I do. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. And and there's, um, you know, there's there's a certain... Uh, there's a certain sort of identity that that we feel when we talk about what we do and why we do it. And, and for those that can't do it anymore, for for a very, in a lot of cases, noble reason, right? They, they got hurt in the line of duty, and now they're basically told they can't do it anymore. And in some ways, maybe some of them feel like they're just thrown out to the side and, and who cares about me anymore and what's my purpose on earth? And mm -hmm. that despair translates to, to a desperation that unfortunately leads to unnecessary loss of life. Mm -hmm. You know, suicides are, are probably still the most prevalent casualty among military members. It's the That's greatest where we waste. Get, that's where yeah. we're losing our lives is, is yeah. in the despair that comes um, from, a, from a lack of sense of purpose. And, and there's, you know, I, I believe a, a deeper purpose for each human being, regardless of their ability. But by offering this career transition opportunity, it's my hope that those who are really committed to defending the nation can apply their skills and their sort of analytic, investigative, security-focused mindset to, to, a, to a deep and, and broad problem that we have in the cybersecurity landscape um, that will preserve our civilization against those that would harm it, terrorists and foreign actors that would just want to destroy America. And uh, frankly, we need all the help we can get. There's like 2 million unfilled jobs in cybersecurity. And so, really? you know, it's a great career field, and it's also it's also something that they can still feel like they're giving back and have a, a real worthwhile pursuit for their career. And hopefully we can prevent, you know, that desperation from sinking in for, for at least a couple people, uh, because even one's too many. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as someone who's been through it, I could agree with that. Um, the The fight's not over, right? That's that's the, the yeah. slogan to, as you're saying this like that's the I like slogan that, that yeah, I like had. That. the fight's not over you're just going to wear a different yeah. set of clothing now but you're going to come in and you're going to help us because there's still people out there 
Um, yeah, the, and the, the weapons yeah. might change, but the fight is still real. I mean, it's still yeah. you know we're getting we're getting uh, intellectual property theft of our of our defense industrial base. There's there's I mean we can look at the the news you know put up a, a, a fighter jet from name a country and America's fighter jets and it's like that looks eerily similar and their development timeline was a year. I don't understand how is that possible? You know because they stole our stuff and that's part of the problem, right? So so you know when. When our adversaries are, are ripping us off in the cyber world and, and then, you know, using that for potential kinetic harm, right, killing people or, or at least, you know, oppressing others and whatnot. I mean, that's not what we stand for. And so they can they can continue to fight against that sort of thing. I like that. The fight's not over. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's so interesting. But but that's exactly the way to put it. Yeah. It's there are plenty of things you can do. And and I say this, you might know from my show is I say this all the time. Like we live in a city where. In my exaggerated opinion, 99% of people are just sitting on their couch and, and eating and watching to see who got shot on the news. <laughs> They're people of all kinds. Everyone needs a purpose, right? Otherwise, you're just sitting there. You're part of the matrix, right? You're a battery in the matrix. You're just a set of eyeballs that Google can advertise to. There's a there's a risk of, of, of losing our humanity to such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like fundamental purpose and my my mother um had, you know she passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease and um toward the end she really couldn't do much you know she was just kind of watching tv or doing you know but but she could love i could see it in her eyes you know holding my daughter my infant daughter in her arms and she couldn't say anything she could barely even hold her from falling off the bed cuz she was so paralyzed but but i could tell that there was love there and that was her purpose right and it and it helped bring our family together and, she was and so, so for for those that can't that. you know do much, you can still, you can still be a vehicle of love. And I think that's really an important common purpose. You mentioned, you know, we're at different, maybe different specifics in our field, but really, I think that's what we're up to trying to, trying to help, you know, keep folks safe so they can continue with their, their, their jobs of, of loving those that are close to them and, and around them. Right. Wow. The, the grandparents are taking care of the grandkids and, and uh, trying to, trying to make the world better in their own way. And um, that's what we're here to enable. Right. Right. And, and my grandmother was in a nursing home um, died at 95 and at 95 years old, she was fully sharp until her last week, like smarter Mm. than me, right? Like fully sharp. And she, she would say, why am I still here? And she said, you know what, maybe it's, and I told her or someone said, maybe it's because she would go around cheering up people who had dementia and she would, don't worry, it's okay. Someone's coming to help you. You know, just something simple like that. That was her purpose. Yeah. 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 Well, didn't know we were going this deep today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Hey, this so, is this is the important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, let's see here. So absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm going to read an article that's been in my briefcase for a while, and it has your name on it because you were involved in this, and I scribbled your name in my chicken scratch on this article here, and I said, I'm not reading this article on my show without Professor Justin. So... I'm going to take a sip of water, and then I'm going to read this article, and then I'm going to ask for your explanation so the folks at home can understand it. How's that? Sounds great. I'm, I'm honored again. Thank you. Edscoop.com. IBM makes $3 million donation to Rochester Institute of Technology's Cyber Range. The in-kind gift from IBM to enhance the capabilities and workforce development programs at uh, RIT Cyber Range. The donation, which will take the form of software, 
IBM's consulting services, that's nice of them, and access to curriculum and software licenses will help RIT build out its global cybersecurity institute. It will allow the school model uh, its cyber range after an IBM site in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, it'll allow them to model the range, they should have said. Um, after the IBM site in Cambridge, uh, customers to practice their cybersecurity skills in lifelike simulations of cyber attacks. The uh, facility is designed to represent a high-end security center, including video walls with ultra-high definition screens. I'm imagining like those Hollywood command centers here. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. um, and including video walls, ultra-high def screens, a control room, and electrostatic glass walls with the capability to simulate 5,000 virtual endpoints. Uh, many universities have opened cyber ranges in recent years, but RITs will become the first to license this design, which uh, the school hopes will broaden its appeal to research organizations and corporations. The cyber range will also be able to create scenarios in which participants face off in advanced persistent threats seeking to steal valuable information and wreak havoc, right? That's what the bad guys do, steal information, wreak havoc, mm -hmm. uh, such as malware attack against a hospital during a natural disaster. Ooh, that's laying it on, right? Got a natural disaster and a cyber attack all at once. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, that's a simulation. These experiences will be varied and customized, so participants will never know exactly what to expect, just like real life, says Professor Justin. IBM will also become the main sponsor of a penetration testing competition, RAT hosts annually. Uh, the most recent edition uh, pitted teams from 15 universities around the world against each other to find the weak points in a fabricated network, and RIT's team won. What do you think? Yeah, that's um, that's been a lot of my a lot of my working life uh, here at RIT for the past few years is helping to architect that um, working with with the folks at IBM uh, and and in their generosity they've been tremendously helpful uh, and and also helping to organize that competition. So um, maybe why don't I start with the range itself. Um, kind of describing what that's become since the IBM gift and, uh, and, and kind of, and then I can branch into like what we do with it. Right. So all, all the things that we, that you just talked about with the ability to host uh, replicated environments up to a few thousand, 5,000 virtual machines or endpoints um, is, is there we we've, you know, gotten through the initial kind of up take phase and, and we've onboarded all the technology and the personnel to help run it. And and we're cooking along pretty nicely, actually. And uh, actually, that number of five thousand is like a fully provisioned Windows box or a pretty beefy Linux box. We can we can host tens of thousands of programmable logic controllers or low low level uh, devices like that. And really? we can do that in uh, many different configurations, right? So we have custom networking, and we have all of this um, built in an engine that will deploy the infrastructure as code. And so we have a whole library of scripts that we can use to configure environments that are customizable and uh, varied to present these training scenarios. So and now, yep, go ahead. For Just so I can explain it, break it down here. So basically you have uh, computers that are set up that hold a bunch of computers inside of them, right? As virtual yep. machines yep, just exactly. means a bunch yep. of little computers that live inside of a big computer. And mm -hmm. programmable logic controllers or PLCs, I believe what you're getting at is you are simulating, for example, a couple of years back, and this happens all the time, but some bad guys took over 
every uh, baby monitor camera in the world and then turned those against someone, right? Is, is that... Uh, is that accurate? Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. And another another that we that we you know we built a replica of a hydroelectric power plant and a nuclear cooling facility and a and a water treatment reservoir. So all of those wow. things had a series of programmable logic controllers that actually controlled the gates on the reservoir for Whoa. when to put water through this turbine or to, to cool this plant or whatever. And so and those sluice gates, could you, know, you can think about somebody in the over. field, right? A, a farmer. Turning, turning a lever and then opening up the channel, right, the sluice gate to, to let the, the field get some irrigation. Same idea, except that's electronic. So we built these models of that system and we presented it in replica to uh, hundreds of, of students all at the same time. And then we collect what they do as they attack it so that we can learn how to defend it better. And then they give us reports like, hey, here's what you should change to make it stronger, to make it better. And then we publish that. So that's a, that's a real world outcome of our of our designs. Um, and that helps, I hope, to make critical infrastructure more secure to protect our way of life and to prevent the bad guy, you know, these advanced actors from getting in because now we're hardening our own systems. I love how you say protect our way of life. Like, like you yeah. remember why you're doing this, right? That's yeah. that's important. Yeah. And I you have remind myself yeah. every day, you know, I, I what I do is I protect the seniors, right? That's what you do. Um, mm -hmm. So I can go to sleep at night uh, because people like you are out there protecting our way of life. Um, that's, yeah. And and hopefully part of your recommendations toward these power plants is to tell them to stop using Microsoft Outlook. <laughs> you know, th there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of business peculiarities that, that mean certain things, right. From a technological perspective. So like some, some places will never get off of a Microsoft exchange server uh, or off uh, of Outlook. And, and, you know, the, uh, so then there's like this business email compromise threat, but then there's things that you can do you. to partition networks and to create these gaps um, and make sure that folks can't swim through. But, but even uh, that it's so risky, it's right? Like so if... you've got to manage the risk and then you, you do testing to find out where the vulnerable points are and then you harden those. And uh, part of the academic side of this is, you know, we, we work on, not just collecting those data, but analyzing them and building predictive models so that when we see, so like we, we've had, I think around 80 or so publications from our data set uh, that we published on, on these, these types of simulations and um, all those logs from hundreds of people trying to attack, right? We published those for the academic community to then build machine learning models and AI that can say, Hey, there's something fishy going on here. We need to shut that portion portion down or you know, so sound an alarm. And then we can, Hey, let's turn off the email for, for, a, for, a, you know, an hour just to figure out what's going on here wow. or whatever, just to prevent it from spreading, you know? So, so to, to break down what you were saying there, it's kind of like, look, if, if the late, if the, the lady wearing the moo moo in the front office is obsessed with Microsoft outlook or, or thinks she needs it. And, you know, playing solitaire and listening to soft rock in the front office, you can partition that you can, you can separate her from the nuclear operations, let's say, so that if she clicks on some scary thing that breaks her computer, it won't break the whole power plant. Yeah, exactly. And 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 a great analogy for that whole approach um, really comes from our roadways. You know, we all have seatbelts and bumpers and medians and shoulders and all these things, right? Because accidents are normal. And from an academic perspective, we have this whole theoretical construct called normal accident theory. When you assume that accidents are normal, you build in these protections to prevent that single car getting into an accident from becoming a multi-car tragedy a pileup that kills thousands of people or whatever because they're traveling 70 miles an hour on the highway but there's no median there's no guardrails there's no seatbelts. there's a tons of people dying right so if we take that approach and we bring it into computer systems at this level of 
critical infrastructure protection, we can apply the same types of protections. I mean, they're different, obviously, but but we we limit the spread of of a, of a compromise. We cordon it off. We quarantine it. We say, hey, one system is down. The the the, the lady that you prescribed. I'm thinking of the, the Drew Carey show. What's her right. name? Right. Who's that? Yeah. Like Mimi was it? Mimi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, that's so who I'm Mimi, imagining. I mean, bless her heart. Right. She, she's she's trying to do her, her her piece of good in the world. Or how about but, Office you know, Space? It, the lady. There's in all the kinds front. of folks. Right. Yeah, there's all kinds of folks that maybe, you know, they click the wrong button or whatever, and they could bring down, you know, the nuclear power plant. But <sighs> but we're trying to help, you know, technology and humans work together so that a bat, you know, a human or even a machine mistake doesn't transcend into this, you know, translate into this huge catastrophe of a, a power plant melting down or something. Horrible. And side note, in my professional opinion, it's not her fault. It's the fault of whoever created Microsoft Outlook back in 1931. Uh, it's their fault. It's not the user's fault. But anyway, it. You, you, I, I love that point because we, you, you know, we like if I'm involved in a lot of training and, and like employee awareness programs and stuff and mm-hmm. advising. And it's like what we've come up with is sort of a um, almost a brute force compliance model where we say, hey, you don't click the thing. Don't click the thing. Right. And, like it's and, their fault. Okay, I mean, that's the best we've got. But like, really, we couldn't have built better technological protections against that sort of thing. And there's we've come a long way. Right. But. And everybody has to be aware of the threat of, you know, some some link that you click and now all of a sudden you get you get a problem in your computer, either at the house or in the office. But but also, I mean, there's things that we can do from a technological perspective to insulate against that risk. And and some of that is really built on some of these models that we're able to create in the cyber range, as I've described. Sure. And and, and it's I always say awareness, awareness, awareness. Right. But so it's kind of like if, if you drive a Ford Pinto and it blows up, that's not your fault. It was a poorly designed car, right? That was a notorious car. Um, but yeah, I always <laughs> yeah. say awareness, awareness, plus I do the bulletproofing on people's machines. So it's that perfect mm-hmm. combination mm-hmm. of awareness plus stronger built-in design. Um, yep. Anyway, what were you going to say about Mimi from Drew Carey show? Oh, uh, just the just the idea that if if she's you know if she's clicking on the wrong thing and and her and her computer downloads a virus or something that virus doesn't spread and there's this there's only so much time that you have because a lot of these things are automated at that in, initial infection layer it's like spray and pray you know that's how these adversaries often work it's like mm-hmm. they'll spray the attack all over the place and just kind of hope that something takes root and really they only need to be successful once but once they get that foothold right it's like a beachhead at Normandy they can start to drive in the heavy tanks and take over the rest of the country. Right. So, right. so that, that, that's the way the adversaries work in, in the digital world. And so by saying, Hey, there's a problem, there's an initial infection, let's immediately take action because it's, you know, this could compromise the whole net. It's just like, Hey, there's a car that broke down the Pinto caught fire. Let's get it off the road so that it's not creating this huge, you know, it's going from 60 to two miles an hour in about half a second. Well, that's a problem. Let's not make it a problem for everybody else, too. For everybody else, sure. Well, and it's kind of so, so you're really nipping it in the bud, right? Where it's kind of like, oh, I have a, a pimple. Let's make sure it doesn't turn into gangrene, right? It's, it's, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I have a tiny so, issue. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the approach, right? So, I mean, there's, there's still, there's still a lot of um, legacy systems or, or, you know, old technologies that are out there in practice that make it really hard to do this in some ways. But, but really, that approach is one that we try to, help folks understand and appreciate. And I think the analogies really hold well in this case because it's it's really understandable when you think about it like a traffic, we can make every car a tank and minimize traffic casualties, right? We could do that, but it's just not practical. So uh-huh. what are the protections we can build 
so that people can still move at the speed of business on the highways, so to speak, you know, the internet highways. Not encumbering them. And, and, and navigate their computers and stuff in a way that they can move along briskly, but they're not going to just create a bunch of casualty in, in chaos on the roadways because they, you know, the Pinto catches fire. Wow. Right. Uh, I'm writing all this down. There's, there's going to be a lot of notes here. <laughs> so these are the research pursuits that are enabled by, you know, this gift from IBM and, and then the work that we've that we've applied in, in translating their 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 model is fantastic for helping folks, especially at the senior level, understand the value of cybersecurity for an organization. Wow. Right. And, and because we have an academic approach, you know, we bring a little bit of that ivory tower into the mix and say, well, what can we do with this kind of data set and this approach, this theoretical understanding? How do we mirror those things up to build new protections that are, you know, again, 80 academic publications and counting, building new machine learning models, AI techniques. So now we're building technologies that work with the human being and better training methods, better understandings of the hacker psychology. And how do we defeat that whole thing scientifically as best we can, right, working with the human beings that would implement it? Right, right. And I do a little bit of this in my book and, and so on, where I just say, get yeah. into the mind of the bad guys, right? And, and Yeah, yeah, exactly. And thanks to you and what you're doing, um, you just don't see traditional viruses anymore. I say this all the time. I've never, I do this job 10, 12 hours a day, and I've never seen a traditional virus since 2013. Um, because they're stopped at the macro level. That's the reason why, in case I don't say that part of it, that's the reason why they're stopped at the macro level. So, it just doesn't happen anymore. So the bad guys, they're lazy, right? They're not going to go into anyone's individual consumer machine. It's its very rare that they do that um, unless they call you up and say, hi, I'm Microsoft, whatever. Um, point is, I have to understand the nature of the issue and the psychology of where they're going so I understand where to find them because, unfortunately, most computer guys are out there doing 1991 virus scans and they don't understand the modern threats where, hey, someone calls you up on the phone and uses fully yeah. legalized remote tools to get into the senior citizen's computer. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons I'm such a fan of what you're doing, because it really is con artistry with a different set of lockpicks. But it's right. the same thing that they've been, you know, con, con artists have been doing this forever. And I, you know, you mentioned that that episode that I commented on and, and just it's epic nature. Right. And I think one thing that really strikes me about your approach there is that you actually had a connection with the human being on the other end of that phone toward the end of it and yeah. made him sort of question, you know, these aren't, these aren't the droids you're looking for, but it's like, I, I want to re reexamine my life because I don't want to sell death sticks. Remember that from the star Wars, you know, oh. the, like the, the kind of the Jedi mind trick that you employed to say, you're doing bad things in the world. Go question your life and figure out what you want to do. That's actually making a positive impact on the world. The money that you're pursuing shouldn't be why you're doing this. You should be helping people and you could. And, and I love that you turned it that way to cause that introspection. Right. And, and that maybe, you know, maybe one out of 20 con artists will actually have that kind of crisis of conscience and come to come to the light, you know, but, but just that approach of connecting with the human being and understanding their rationale and then trying to motivate them to the good Man, that's that's so beautiful. And it's really worthwhile because, you know, similar to the to the folks that were fighting against despair alongside fighting against that selfish kind of money grubbing approach. You know, you got technical skills. Use your use your powers for good. You know th that right. there's a lot of good you can do with the same set of skills. And you probably end up making more money and being happier in life anyway, because you're doing good things. And that's how things tend to, you know, 
spread. <laughs> right. And, and oh, there's so much I want to say. I mean, sure. Number one, you know, the, those scammers, it has nothing to do with technology. It's just a guy calling you and saying scary things and asking to break into your computer. It's not technical. It's just it's con artistry, like you said. And it actually a couple of years ago, I, you know, someone said, Mark, people have been abusing each other since the dawn of time. And that's kind of comforting yeah. to me because for many years I said, oh, computers are evil. And no, it's it's just people abusing each other in new ways. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I live in New York state, which is just a giant welfare state where people are, again, are told to stay home and just get everything for free, but there's no sense of gratification. There's no sense of purpose. So that's why, um, I always tell people, right. And like you said, from the bad guy on the other side of the world to a returning veteran, to anyone I encounter in the streets, walking around where I am, it's, Hey, guess what? You have abilities. You have these God-given abilities, believe it or not, and you're meant to do something here and not just stay sitting on your couch doing everything for free forever. So it's making people realize, and I'm writing a book about this, actually. It's it's coming out in the next couple of years, and I can't wait to show you, but it's making people realize that, guess what? You, you know, you hear all the time, right? Like people in the ghetto can do drugs or play basketball and that's the only way out of the ghetto, right? Well, this scammer, wherever he was in some third world country, um, thought that the only way he could make money was by scamming people. And my whole point to him was, guess what? You can actually make money by helping people. There is that win-win. And actually, mm. RIT, the, the main thing I learned at RIT was win-wins, how to find win-wins. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only way I'll do business is when everybody wins. But but that idea of, of inspiring that potential, the awareness of the potential in somebody, to your point, you know, that that's unfortunately something that a lot of folks don't grow up hearing for one reason or another. And, you know, we can point to a lot of different causes and effects and, and, and whatnot. And it, it, it's, it's, un, it's unfortunate that a lot of folks don't even think that cyber could be for them it's a promising career, pays great. It's it, you're doing good in the world. I mean, all the things that we're talking about, right? But but let me be clear, it it's a great paying career field. You know, th this is one of the highest demand, highest paying jobs you can have, and it's available for folks that you know, you know maybe didn't get a fair shake in life or don't feel like they did, and it's a way out of their whatever desperate situations um, in a way that actually can help them feel good and and money follows purpose, right? I, I mean, we both are, are alums of, of the business school at RIT. And, and you know, I, I remember learning this, you probably did too. When you build a good plan, the money comes and it will resource your good plan that's doing good in the world. When you create those win-wins, the resources flow to it because it's the right thing to do for everyone. And, and so like inspiring that awareness of potential in folks that maybe think that scamming is the only opportunity for them to get ahead or to, you know, just carve out a little you know, corner of the world for them to, to live in peace. Well, there's other ways, you know? Yeah. And I always say, do the right thing. The money comes later. I'm yeah, still yeah. waiting on the money part. That's not here <laughs> yet, <laughs> but we're trying to do the right thing here. Wow. Uh, Professor Justin, thank you so much for being here. Any, any last comments? Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground. What would I, what would I leave your audience with? Um, you know, I, I think, uh, there's um there's a lot to be grateful for i think is is one thing that i'll just kind of end with and and uh, for me you know certainly having the time to to chat with you about you know a whole range of topics but really part of that is 
diving into the purpose of why we're here and what we're doing. And for each person, whether that's, um, you know, a cyber expert or somebody who's just kind of cyber curious for, for lack of a better term, <laughs> um, uh, or, or somebody that doesn't even, you know, maybe know how to spell cyber, it's, it's okay. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're a team, right? So, so take the advice from folks that know more and are trying to help and give the advice to folks that know less and need the help. And, um, and uh, uh, trust that it'll work out because it, 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 it does, you know, if your heart's in the right spot, intentions matter and so do outcomes. And so those two things will align, I think. Oh, and, I don't know, whatever, you, the inspirational statement for the day. It's no, right. I try to remember like, that myself. Like <laughs> if, if any kid raises their hand and says, I want to succeed, like people like us would be more than willing to do whatever we could yeah. to get them to succeed, right? So you're right. Hmm. All we want is someone with good intentions. We'll teach you the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it. And the fight's not over. Yeah. Yeah. You got to use that. You, you can use that that. slogan for your, yeah. And, and I love what you said about the only way I'll do business is if everybody wins. Cause you know, there's plenty of times when I feel like, Oh, right. Like we talked about before the show. Oh, I want to be a nice guy. I don't want to rip people off. I don't want to make money off people because you know, I'm in that reaction. I don't, I'm reacting to the big box stores who are out to screw everybody. Right. But Mm -hmm. If I'm out there doing business where we both win, it's okay to make a lot of money when we both win, when I help people and I save them money and yeah. Yeah, and the, and the to me the 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 fundamental justification for that is is really rooted in in humility because it's not about you making the money, right? It's about you serving the people that you're helping and it's okay for you to be treated fairly in the exchange. Um but but the, the I love this definition of humility from CS C. Lewis um, humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Yeah. And someday, if you want to come back, I have an article about humility, about that yeah? quote right oh, here. Oh, got This sounds like a follow-up. Yeah, Sitting in the briefcase. So if you want, I'll save that for you. Um, thanks so much for joining, and all the best to you, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks so much, really, again, for having me on the show. It's great to chat. All right, folks, thecomputerexorcist.com. Buy my book for everybody you know, and tell your friends about the show, and we'll talk to you later.